Down, Marici. <laughs> just recording it. Uh, we've been, uh, we actually just celebrated our 32-year anniversary on the 17th. And uh, needless to say, definitely by the grace of God, I'm so grateful that uh, we're both on the same page as far as being disciples. It's the only way anybody on the face of this planet would ever put up with me for that length yeah. of time. <laughs> you, you know, some of you agreed a little bit too quickly with that. I'm, I'm hearing, yeah, amen, what's up with that? But um, we've got two incredible kids. Uh, let me get into the slides here a little bit. The title of the message this morning is Selfless. All right. We'll get into that in, in a moment here. But uh, this is the uh, Marici clan up here. Uh, got my son Stephen on the far right, Aaron, his wife, who he met, brought to the faith. Sister-in-law, Jerry Ann, my grandmother, or excuse me, my wife's mother, my mother-in-law. <laughs> Uh, who still leads a Bible talk out in what used to be the East Region, Lighthouse Region today. My niece, uh, Taylor, uh, who we got? I can't That's even see. Me, Jackie, she looks so young in that picture. It's like, wow. Uh, me all the way in the back, Shailene, my daughter, and her husband, Zach, which has uh, been an incredible addition to our family. Uh, Stephen uh, and Aaron are disciples. Shailene's on her journey, but uh, yeah. I do believe she'll get back there at some point. And then the latest edition. Oh, Come on. Our uh, little old grandbaby Cadence. And, and what family would be complete without this? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's an alien. <laughs> we have trained rodents. <laughs> she talks, too. <laughs> So that's our uh, little. We, uh, for those of you who know this, we used to have uh, Siberian Huskies. Uh, I, I don't know why we decided on rodents, but they had a lot of fun. <laughs> Actually, our daughter started us with that a ways back. Um, uh, Jackie and I lead the South Bay Church, which is a part of the coastal Los Angeles region, which we oversee as well. Uh, this is most of our staff. Uh, it's a group of about 1,150 people, as far as the staff, or uh, our, our <laughs> brothers and sisters, not the staff. We've got uh, two couples that have been added to that, uh, Mark and Mia Steberg, who are actually partially self-supporting out of his retirement, which is really pretty awesome. Yep. And then uh, our son, Stephen, was hired in uh, Greater Long Beach. Erin works as an RN, but she should be coming on staff here at the beginning of the year, uh, which we're excited about. Great. Uh, with that, too, just some of the other responsibilities. It's great being empty nesters. You have a little bit more time on your hands, so I guess people figured they wanted to keep us a little bit busier. Yeah. But uh, I also am on the board of the uh, Mission Society, which oversees our churches in uh, Mexico and Central America, as well as an advocate for the southwestern portion of the United States, advocate for hope, and uh, also a delegate for uh, the Los Angeles Church internationally. And as of last year, my elders told me 2016 was the year of no. But uh, when it came to taking on anything else. But anyway, uh, very grateful for this uh, time in our lives and the way God has used us. Um, super grateful to be here to see so many. Guys, you are my heroes in the faith. Yeah. Yes. I, you know, I look back to, you know, we've all had some different things we've gone through in our lives. But just seeing how you guys have fought and remained faithful, yeah. are in the battle, is super, super encouraging. Yeah. I know I'm going to be devastated when I see your kids because I'm not going to recognize any of them, and I'm sure some of them are probably taller than me at this point. But again, the uh, title of the message today is uh, Selfless. And 
just even looking at what you guys are on the uh, forefront of, we actually come from a ministry where what you guys are on the forefront of is something we've been a part of. Uh, Coastal Los Angeles used to be the West and the South region, which were combined relationally to kind of strengthen the group. And the ministry we lead, it's kind of interesting going in. We've been there now for six years. Uh, we left here, or I left here to Denver, May 21st of 2010. So it's been a little while since we've been back. Uh, I escaped from Denver, or I escaped to Denver from LA for a whopping two months. Two days in, I got the phone call, and then somebody flipped the switch on the tractor beam, and we got sucked back into the That's state. Right. Right. <laughs> but it's been incredible. Um, yeah. Never thought we'd go back into the ministry. Most of you know we were self-supporting here for a pretty extended period of time. And uh, needless to say, God had other ideas, which he made very clear. I'll kind of expand on that a little bit more as we uh, go along here this morning. But our, our South Bay Church was actually a combination of three ministries that kind of overlapped. We had... The South, we had the West AMS, and then South Bay. That all came together. It was kind of interesting for us going in. You got a ministry of about 250 people, and I don't like calling people bro or sis. I have to strive to get to know their names. And I'd be in the fellowship, and I'd look across the room, and I'd say to one of the brothers, Hey, well, who's that over there? I'd say, I don't know. Okay, and this was kind of a constant because of the merger of those relationships. So I just put before you, get to know each other quickly. It really helps with unity and all that good stuff. Jackie's not going to agree with this, but the reason I'm on Facebook is because of our ministry and that I figured, you know what, the only way I'm going to get to know these people is I sat down with our membership list. I First time I ever went on Facebook, started plugging in names and faces and plugging it all together. Now she'll admit that, it, or she'll accuse me of being a Facebook addict, but whatever. You guys were live this morning, by the way, too, on Facebook. Um, so anyway, it's kind of moving along here. When it comes to being selfless, ultimately what this is about is how loving ourselves less and loving God and each other more will change the, wor- the world. Ultimately, we're better together. God knew what he was dealing with relationally when he created us. God is a God of relationships. And there is so much strength in unity. We know that Jesus, when he went to the cross, what was one of the primary things on his mind? It was going to be the unity of those brothers and sisters going forward, understanding how much strength there was in it. And Satan gets it as well. Satan loves chaos. What better way of fostering that than working with a group of men and women that aren't unified? And really understanding how significant that unity is. But, you know, before we go any further, there's a couple things I get, need to get off my chest. All right. There are a couple things that kind of tick me off. All right. You know what the one thing is that ticks me off the most? Anybody that messes with my kids. Oh, right. There may be a few other things, but that, 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 have we got any parents in the group here this morning? Yeah. Can, can you relate when someone messes with your kid? Yeah. My daughter was in elementary school, and she came home crying one day, and I uh, wanted to know what was, what was wrong, what was going on, and I guess it was this one young man that thought it was really cute to be popping up her skirt, and just messing around, flipping up her skirt, and it really bothered her. So... Um, I'm a little embarrassed by this because I was a Christian at the time. Uh, I showed up at the campus. Yeah, I was a minister. Thanks, babe. Let's make it better here. And uh, I remember walking. My, you know, I have my daughter. I'm like, so which one is he? She points me out. And I walk over to him. I grab him by his shirt, and I just get in his face. I'm like, let me tell you something. You so much as touch my daughter again. I'm dragging your car just to the principal's office, and we're calling your parents. I'm going to have a little chat with them about what you've been doing to my daughter. 
Again, probably not the best way of handling that. <laughs> Needless to say, it worked. She never had any more issues with him. There was another situation where a kid was kind of punking my kid. He was bullying him. He was on a uh, Little League team. And uh, any of you guys know Jim Hill, the uh, sports announcer? Yeah. Okay, kind of a big guy, right? His brother's bigger. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know this. I had Stephen just started the team, and he was talking about this kid that was really giving a bad time. Turns out it was the coach's son. So I, I go show up to have a little chat with his dad because I had a chat with the kid, and that didn't go so well. So I, I you know, Stephen points me out. He's sitting on a bench, and he, I walk over, and hey, I'm Steve Marici, and he stands up, and I'm like, okay, I, I've got relatively big hands. His hand enveloped my. It's like, where'd my hand go? <laughs> You know, and I kind of expressed him what was going on. He starts, he starts, this, you know, scowling at me, giving me a really dirty look. I'm thinking, this does not look like it's going to be going in a good direction. Anyways, we made it through it. I'm still here to talk about it today. I'm just praising Jesus when it comes to that. But we know how we are about our kids. We know how we are about family. And when it comes to my children, there's absolutely no point talking to me, trying to make peace with me or to be nice to me, unless you've got that mindset and that attitude towards my kids. There's no means of compensating me if you mess with my kids. You remember that? I'm out of my dogs. and That's a whole other story. I don't have time for that today. But the most honoring thing that you can do for me is to honor and respect my kids. And you know, I look back at the different people through my life that have had that degree of engagement with my children. My son Stephen had a uh, audiovisual processing deficit, learning disability. And there's this one teacher, I think it was fourth or fifth grade, Mr. Valone, who took a special interest in my son, got him interested in school, graded him by the work that he completed, not the, the number of problems that he answered, but how well he did with what he was able to complete within the time frame that he had. And this guy, my son will talk about him to this day, MJ Miller. Uh, she was part of the RSP, she was an instructor in the RSP program at Westlake High School. She loved my kid. I mean, we would we did. I mean, we, we weren't supposed to do anything for her. When he graduated, we hooked her up with a Nordstrom gift card. And But she, it was amazing how that love for him enabled him to grow and mature. And I mean, when he was done with high school, he was testing at grade level or above, which was awesome. But it was because of those types of people. Some of you in this room, uh, you know, I think of the Revezos with our kids. I know some, my son loves some of the interaction he had with Steve Burns. I mean, just many people. Eric Thurston, who used to be a wrestling coach at Westlake High School. Uh, Tim Hoyt on one, in one situation. I wasn't super happy about it, but showed up on my porch after I kicked Stephen out of the house for disrespecting my wife. And, you know, he convinced me that maybe I overreacted and had been a little bit emotional and <laughs> helped me dial it in a little bit, and Stephen came home that afternoon. But... Um, yeah, it was a good move. I appreciate that, Tim. Again, at the time, I was like, what's, what's up with this Tim Hoyt guy getting in my grill? <laughs> Ultimately, if you love me, you love my kids, you can demonstrate that for the love that you have for my kids. Now, let me take a deep breath. I feel so much better right now. <laughs> but what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at love today through the eyes of Christ, and I think we'll change your paradigm on love. Okay. We'll start with a little bit of history. Right. History on religion. You know, where you worship and how that affects your conduct. Christianity today has had a lot of influences through the years. Yeah. Our consciousness as Christians have been predicated by a lot of different things that have taken place through history. You know, guilty conscience, uh, feeling bad about things, having a checklist of what makes us look good before God or what doesn't make us look good before God. Mm -hmm. Things we shouldn't do and don't, things we do but shouldn't. 
And these things have shaped and been formed by a variety of things, primarily a version of Christianity that is merged with the temple model, which has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus and what Jesus is modeled for us. Okay. It's an ancient model. It goes back to being influenced by a lot of different things, the Egyptians, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and the Jews. And, you know, today we can still be influenced by that temple model. Temple model, you have sacred places where, you know, there's certain things and conditions you have to go through to go in. You know, maybe it's a matter of going in with no shoes on your feet or prayer cover or shoes on your feet or whatever. But it's this sacred place we're so caught up in the building and what that represents rather than, in our situation, this building, the body, the church, right. us, men and women. They're sacred texts. Whether it be inscriptions, scrolls, papyrus, whatever, they needed a sacred group of men to be able to interpret all that for the rest of us. And then with that, you have sincere followers that really didn't understand what was going on, but they relied on the building they went to and the men that were there to convey the message to them. So we can still be influenced by that today. Now around the 4th century, Christianity became the dominant religion of the Roman Empire. And when this happened, it's unfortunate, but something tragic happened right along with it. And that was in the 4th century, there was this development of the temple model approach to things, to Christianity, which was reinforced accidentally through the Reformation. I've got a quote here for you. The place of worship replaced both the significance of the worshipers and the love we were called to for one another. The church was replaced with the love of a building, the church. Mm. Any of you know who that quote comes from? Yeah. Me, see Marisha. Just had to throw that out there. Great quote. Thank you. Uh, let me repeat it for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but just really thinking that through, and, and it's really kind of crazy in that, again, the church, which, who would this be, uppercase right here? People. People. That's us. That's right. Became replaced with this. Mm. Whoops, let me back up here. Okay, there we go. As uh, many of you may know, Constantine's mama kind of got in the mix. He uh, appointed her uh, as Helena uh, Augusta Imperatrix, and he gave her unlimited access to the imperial treasury. And, you know, you can see her influence throughout the, a lot of the old churches that have been maintained through the years throughout Rome and Constantinople, I mean, in the Middle East. So we see this proliferation of the temple model versus the Jesus model. Instead of a purist model that Jesus demonstrated for us on a heart level, the Jesus movement became sprinkled with the temple model. Creeds, sacraments, in a lot of ways it's empty tradition. This is the Jesus model. A new covenant, a new means of connecting with God, a new command, which we're all very familiar with, and we'll see that in a moment. A new ethic, a new movement, as this new degree of integrity that wasn't about checklists, but do you love one another? Mm -hmm. Do you look to God first and foremost? Or do you allow situations and things to determine your response? I mean, we, you just think about where we live today and what's been going on in the media. Right. You know, this political season that we just came through. I mean, I've had to teach on multiple occasions just about things like social media, which I cannot believe some of the things brothers and sisters are saying to each other in an open public forum right. that have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus Christ. It's scary how Satan can get in there and destroy. Now, the Jesus model was revolutionary. 
It's not a new version of the temple model. It's not about self. It's selfless. New covenant, brand new approach to a relationship between God and man. A new command uh, superseded all the commands prior. And this command needs to be the filter for all of our actions. New ethic, new movement, new integrity. You know, the challenge again that we're faced with today is this blending of the old and the new, which ultimately holds us all back individually from what God wants us to be and holds the church back from its degree of effectiveness that we could have internationally. Here's some examples. If you feel guiltier about missing church than you do about mistreating someone at work, and you shouldn't do either, that's the temple model. Being somewhat spiritual or sacred is more important than how you treat someone. I'll never forget this image when I was a kid. Probably about eight years old, after my first communion, Catholic church, in the parking lot, place was packed out, so they had us parking on the uh, volleyball, concrete volleyball courts. And we're driving out, and my dad, a little ADD, like I am, he kind of wasn't paying attention, and he cut someone off. And the guy pulls up alongside him and flips him off. Wow. And I'm thinking, I'm a kid. It's like, okay, this is this really right? I mean, we only behave when we're in church, when we're in the building. But just really thinking through that, I mean, that's, that's so much of what religious society looks yeah. like today. If you contemplate how close you can get to sinning, without actually sinning, right. you know, blurring the lines. Sometimes it may not even be a, a conscious thing, but creating these gray areas in your lives or being legalistic. Yeah. Feeling good if you do this or you don't do that. That's the temple model. Temple model is self-centered. It's you-centered. You know, what must I do to make things right and keep things right between God and me? Yeah. And if you believe that there's a ritual that makes you right with God and removes your responsibility to make restitution to someone that you've harmed, that's the temple model. Saying a magic prayer or reciting something over and over and over again, prayers for penance or going to confession to have your sins forgiven rather than making restitution or apologizing and just simply engaging the person you sinned against and asking for forgiveness, repenting, changing. If we don't do those things, we're engaged in the temple model. It's all about me. It's all about you. Me-centered, self-centered versus God-centered. You may may say, well, you know, Steve, I go to church every Sunday. Don't miss a uh, midweek. I give. I serve. I do all these things. Well, you've got to understand that church attendance can be more about me or you personally, if that's where you're operating from, God, you see me worshiping this morning. I'm here. Got here early. Now, I want you to forget about what I was doing Friday night. Drinking, smoking, snorting, sleeping with whoever. Forget about Friday. Just look at me right now. I'm here. That's the temple model. Right. Obedience. All about me. Do's and don'ts. All about me. What I did or didn't do, right or wrong. All about me. You know, when we give our financial offerings, that can be all about me. I mean, let's, let's go back a little bit. Isn't that what this was all about? Yeah. In today's money, billions of dollars of gold, silver, onyx, fine stones went into these, these buildings. Right. And just really thinking that through. We've, we've got to be careful. Temple model. It's not about Jesus. Temple thing gravitates to rules and regulations and rituals. Right. What exactly must I do to make things and keep things good between God and me? You see, we've got to get beyond this. I know I've had to get beyond this. I've had 
in 26 years of being a Christian, there are times where I'm plugged in and I'm focused, and man, it's about God. There's a connectivity. It's happening in my prayers. It's happening in the scriptures that I'm going through. It's a connection on a heart level rather than just going through the motions. I mean, this was a transition for me from the East Region to Orange County. The East Region, I loved the people there. I had no clue what I was doing. That's right. It was interesting. <laughs> she was right there with me. I, you know, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget... Yeah, I have a witness, unfortunately. I'll never forget when, after, you know, the creed letter took place, apologizing to brothers and sisters that we had seen from the East Region. And the response was amazing. It was, shut up, bro. Shut up. You don't need, what are you apologizing for? We knew you loved us. Right. Now, there was a contrast in Orange County. When I transitioned down there, there was stuff I didn't realize that was going on. I was totally disconnected. It was totally about checking off a list. And, you know, I, I, I knew the temple model, I knew the framework, knew how to grow, grow ministry. And the reality behind it was, there was zero heart and the people knew it. I apologize to people in Orange County. You know what the response was? I forgive you, bro. <laughs> I mean, there was acceptance, so obviously there was a contrast between the two. And really understanding that as we move forward, that God gives us the ability to connect. He demonstrated it through Jesus. We need to get beyond what's in it for me and how I can keep God happy. And get back to just the basics, putting our faith in Christ. Amen. God is okay with you. Amen. And you're okay with God. Right. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you got baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you're there. You're going to go through peaks and valleys. But guys, let's work so much harder on being united with each other and ultimately with God. Amen. Super significant. Things that turn me off. In my 20s, I was agnostic from the age of 13 to 32. The age 13, after my confirmation, my folks said, hey, you're old enough to figure this out, and I'm all, you're darn tootin', I'm out. Yeah. Part of it was because of even, it blows my mind as a 13-year-old, remembering seeing Swaggart on TV, Baker on TV, some of these incredible TV evangelists that had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that were engaged with them. And then seeing them fall, and there's nothing wrong with falling, it's what you do when you get back up, and we know there's a lot of false doctrine that was going on there too, which is probably a big part of it. But I'm thinking to myself, man, if these guys who are these spiritual giants can't do it, how in heaven's name am I going to do it? Yeah, right? I'm out. And that, that's what went on until my son was born. And that kind of started peeling back some of the layers and realized, you know what? Okay, this isn't just the result of some cosmic pizza hurtling through space that crashed into the earth. And, you know, we, we transitioned from trilobites to homo sapien. I, you know, I kind of figured that one was a little bit of a stretch. Right. But... Really understanding here that when we, we talk about the Jesus model, the Jesus model is centered on the you beside you. Look to your left and your right. That's who the Jesus model calls you to be focused on. It's the you next to you. If you're a Republican, it's centered on the Democrats sitting next to you. If you're a racist, it's centered on the you that you don't want to have anything to do with. Following Jesus is calling you to leave Everything it's all about you and focus on the you next to you. John 13, 34, something we're very familiar with. Most of you can recite this by memory. A new command I give to you, right? Yeah. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's simple. It's basic. 
When we interact with each other like that, people see a difference. This doesn't go on in the world today. Matthew 27, or 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, I love Jesus. I'm kind of a simple guy, and I appreciate the fact that he works with simple guys. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Okay, I think I can remember those things. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Praise God. Right? Paul got it. Galatians 5, verse 14, he says, For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Thank you, Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's huge. This is a complete departure from the temple model, the temple way of thinking. All 634 commandments and regulations and probably a few things beyond that that the Jews came up with to protect, it wasn't malicious, but to keep people pure, to keep people right with God, all those things were part of the temple model. Can you imagine that, getting up every morning and having to go through a checklist of 634 things? At the end of the day, did I miss anything? I think I'm right with God. I mean, it's just, to me, it's crazy. Right. Yeah. But Paul came up with and held people accountable to these things prior to becoming a Christian. And right here, Paul states, love your neighbor as yourself. That upholds all of them. Complete departure from the temple way of thinking. Selfless thinking. Yeah. Let's take a look at those uh, shall nots. Do you know why you should tell the truth? Well, I know. The Bible says to lie is a sin, right? It's in the Bible. It's a commandment. It's because God says so. You're wrong. Even though it's right. But that's temple model thinking. Temple thinking says you need to tell the truth because that's what the Bible text says. The Jesus model says you should tell the truth because when you don't tell the truth, you hurt the person you lie to, which ultimately hurts you and your relationship with God and that individual. Think about it in the garden. I mean, what happened? Adam and Eve. You know, where'd you go? What's going on? You know, they're hiding. That's what lying does. It destroys relationships. When you lie, you're saying to the person that you were lying to, you, I have decided, are not worthy of the truth. When you're lying, you're saying what is best for you is secondary to what is best for me, the individual on the receiving end. The reason Christians shouldn't lie isn't because it says so in the book. The reason the Bible says we shouldn't lie is because God is concerned more about people that we will be tempted to lie to. Temple model says that I will tell the truth so God will love me. Jesus says the reason you will tell the truth is because you love people the way Jesus loved people. Amen. Compelled by Christ's love, selfless love. There you go. How about some shell nots? Do you know why we shouldn't talk badly about someone? Yes, Steve. Because there's something in the Bible about gossip or malice or anger. Shouldn't gossip because the Bible says so, and God doesn't like it. Well, that's temple thinking. You shouldn't gossip because it hurts someone. It undermines their integrity to other people. The reason you shouldn't gossip is because you elevate yourself at the expense of whoever you're gossiping about. Temple model. 
Can't love your neighbors yourself if you lie or gossip about them. Isn't that pretty simple? That's right. Very simple. We got a, we got a few young men and women in the group here this morning. Yep. Do you know why you shouldn't pressure your girlfriend or your boyfriend sexually? Well, that's easy, Steve. Bible says sex is for marriage. If you do bad things, something you know, bad morally, there's consequences. Bad things will happen. You know, and ultimately, as disciples, even when it comes to dating. We need to make sure that we're protecting one another. That person next to you is much more important. Right. It's about encouraging one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Encourage those that you're involved with on that level. You know, I appreciate that. There's a few, few of you have seen this morning where I either did your weddings or was a participant in your weddings. And those of you that kept your dating relationship, kept your engagement period yeah. pure, so that when that bride came down the aisle, the white dress that she was wearing was significant. She waited on God to give her away. She waited on her dad to give her away, rather than giving herself away in violation of the love that God calls us to for each other. Amen. See, the reason you shouldn't pressure someone into doing something they don't want to do is when you pressure them into doing something they don't want to do, guess what? Is it possible you may be creating a regret in their lives? Jesus' followers don't create regrets for other people. When someone tells the story of their greatest regret, I guarantee you, they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about what that decision led to. You know, when they're dealing with an unwanted pregnancy, and the regrets maybe that they have because of that pregnancy, not being able to finish school, because they decided to raise the child by themselves, they're not thinking about you. In that moment when you were thinking about pressuring them as a true Christian, you realize, if I'm trying to impose my will on someone else, I don't need a verse for that. I don't need a checklist for that. I know that it's not loving myself as my neighbor. It's loving myself at the expense of my neighbor. And of all these situations, it's the exact opposite of how we as Christians are called to live. I need, to be, I need you to be honest with me on this one. This is not rhetorical. Please raise your hand if it applies. How many of you have done at least one thing that you regret because of being pressured by someone else? Take a look around. Yeah. That's what the temple model does Yeah. versus the Jesus model. And, you know, maybe you're thinking, well, okay, well, when it comes to the sex thing, what if it's consensual? Well, you know, I, I think you got me on this one. Actually, you didn't. <laughs> I mean, seriously, think about it. What if you're, you know, for those of you that are aunts or uncles, your, your niece or nephew comes to you and, say, and says, you know what, I've been hanging out with my cousin such and such, and we decide we're going to gouge each other's eyes out. Well, it's consensual. <laughs> Right? I mean, are we going to approve of it? Heck no. You don't do anything that's going to hurt you or someone else. You know, do you really need a Bible verse to explain to them why they shouldn't do something that's going to create a regret in someone else? Ultimately, do we really need to go any deeper than love your neighbor as yourself? Here's the bottom line. God didn't give us verses for everything. We've been around for a while. We know that, right? Yeah. How, how many uh, ten-year disciples do we have in here? How many fifteen-year? We got any twenty-year, thirty-year? Look at this, man. We got some lifers over here. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And just thinking that through, do we need really need a Bible verse for it? And we know for any of us who've been around for a while, are there Bible verses to deal with every single thing? No, but, you know, Jesus did kind of 
dumb it down for me, simplify things to the way that, you know, really the reality of is what he established in Matthew 22 does cover everything. We're willing to listen to it. You know, Matthew uh, 22, verse 37, God gives us an example. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbors as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, this, this, this next slide, slide kind of stressed me out a little bit here. <laughs> Anybody tell me what all that is? That's a bottle, man. There's a little bit of stuff in there, a little bit of turf to cover. Yeah. We, we got any engineers or chemists in the group? A couple. This one's for you. What we just saw in Matthew 22, everything in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this is simply an illustration of what Jesus says in Matthew 22. Love God, love your neighbor. I can deal with this. I mean, I can deal with that. That is so much simpler for me to get my arms around and embrace as long as I keep my heart in the right place. I don't need a sacred place. I don't need somebody defining a text for me or man to help me sort all this out. Jesus simplified it even more so with what he demonstrated with his life. I don't know about you, the temple model and all the do's and don'ts in the books of the Bible kind of stress me out. I mean, there's some great stuff in there, don't get me wrong. But when it comes to applying everything that's in there to this, it's stressful. Jackie can help attest to that, I'm sure. Love God, one another. This is what we're about as a church, individually and collectively. You know, for those of you looking for a way out for everything that maybe God didn't cover, let me just help you with this. God didn't try to cover everything. All these books of the Bible aren't here for our benefit, although we do benefit. They're not here for God's benefit. God, last time I checked, he's doing fine. (laughs) They are there for the benefit of the other people that are in your life that you and I have been called to love as ourselves. Why? Because we're better together. You know, with this transition that you've got going on, I just can't encourage you enough. Let down the walls. Yes. Trust in God. Embrace each other with Amen. faith, knowing that, guys, you're all here with the same reason to mind. That's getting yourselves to heaven and getting as many people that's with you right. and loving God and people along the way. Yeah, Go after the relationships. You know, we, we've got five different groups in our, in our region. We've got one group that was kind of out there for a while and it was a much more mature group been around I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of 20 and 30 year old lifers in that group and they got to thinking that you know we don't really need discipleship I've seen more divorces in one year in that one sector than I've seen my entire life as a Christian we've had five so far and there's a couple more that are on the fence and the reason for it is right here what's going on here that we're talking about today they are selfish, not selfless. Right. Right. I mean, a number of those situations, there isn't even biblical grounds for divorce. Yet because of that selfishness, that pulling back from God, not relying on Jesus, not allowing others to engage them in the areas of life, it was, it was a no-brainer when it came to a number of these people that were involved. You could tell. Yeah. You look at the two of them in the fellowship. I mean, they're, they're, it was obvious. And it's because of that lack of love for God and that lack of love for one another. Need everybody's eyes up here for this next one. The Jesus model is less complicated, but it is far more demanding. The Jesus model is less complicated, but far more demanding. Because we've got to engage here. 
right. we got to be willing to work through things. you got issues with somebody, get them resolved. Yeah. That's right. You know, if you're not feeling unified, get unified. If your relationship with God isn't where it needs to be, you're not reading your Bible, you're not praying, you've lost that connectivity, get help. It's one of the things I love about Jesus. I mean, even in, even in Luke 11, I mean, his guys have been walking with him for a while. They've seen him pray, but they have the humility. There's a connectivity here, Jesus, that you've got with your dad in heaven. I don't get it. I don't totally understand it. Help us. And Jesus broke it down. And that's the thing that's so awesome about this fellowship. There are men and women. We can help each other get there. Right. You know, we kind of joke about this a little bit. We've got, we had at 1.5 elders in uh, Coastal. One of them uh, went elder emeritus, which... I went after him a little bit on scripture. I couldn't find that one anywhere in the Bible, but he had kind of a long run, and there had been a lot of stuff he'd been dealing with the years, and probably needed to do what he did. Yeah. I joke about it, and that I'm there leading that region. We need that many elders to keep me checked. Right. But we let everybody in. I don't care who you are. You, you, anybody here can walk up to me. If there's something I did or said today that upset you, come talk to me. Yeah. I'm approachable. I want help. So I know if you, if you were to look at it and you think, oh man, that's Steve Marici, man, that dude's a mess. And that's where it ended. I'm going to remain a mess. I mean, do you, do you really want that for me? Do we want that for anybody? So we got to be willing to engage each other on this level. You know, at the center of the Christian faith is a man that those were closest to and believed that he was the Son of God, Jesus. At the center of the Christian faith is a man that those that knew him believed that he came from God. At the center of the Christian faith was a man who died covered with his own blood, blood and the saliva of those who were tormenting him for us. See, the Jesus model is less complicated. Look at his life. How demanding was his life right. so that we would have the opportunity to have a relationship with God. You know, it's easy to find a place to hide when it comes to being in the temple. You know, I don't really think that's what the Bible means in this particular situation. Ah, that's in the Old Testament. Jesus said one thing, Paul said another. You know, if it's not named specifically in the Bible, we, we can try and hide behind those things. See, temple religion makes it easy to find a way out. Good point. Temple Christianity is such a turnoff to non-Christians. Yeah. But in true discipleship, true Christianity, it's hard to find a way out. The reason for that is because of the example of the one that's set for us, whose name is Jesus Christ and his calling. You know, this, this one's pretty sobering to me. If any of you know the history on Gandhi, Gandhi says, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike Christ. Imagine inviting Gandhi out to church, which happened with him. He shows up, and he's about to enter, and he's darker than everybody else there. He was turned away. Makes me wonder how much different the world would look like today if a guy like that had been received by true Christianity rather than have to contend with the temple model having actually been invited in, what that potentially would look like today for us. You know, in your relationship with one another, Philippians 2.5, we're called to take on the attitude of Jesus Christ. King of kings, down as a slave. Right. Giving it all up. So we'd have the opportunity to be ushered into the kingdom. We'd be given the opportunity to have a relationship with God. This is why the Christian faith and being a disciple of Jesus is so incredibly spectacular. Yeah, that's right. Because of the example we have in Christ, and when we model that, the impact that it has. You know, one thing I hate most about being in the ministry? Yeah. 
<laughs> this woman knows me too well, 32 years. One of the things I hate about the ministry the most in relation to having a secular job is my sphere of influence is you guys. When I worked a secular job, every place I worked, in the, in the human resource booklet that they gave you, proselytizing was means for dismissal from the company. But you know, when we conduct ourselves like Christians, we stand out. You don't have to say anything. You know, we get all caught up in, oh my gosh, I gotta go door knocking, I gotta go mauling, I gotta do this, that, and the other to meet people. How about just walk like Christ? I mean, every secular job I had, someone came to the faith. And there were there were conversations after work, don't get me wrong, but more often than not, the people that I worked with initiated them. It's like, dude, I heard you apologize to your wife the other day. What the heck was that about? Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, aren't you supposed to school her or something? I mean, you know, you're sorry. You know, I got fired from a job because I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out and hang out with one of the managers who was a total alcoholic, wanted me to come out and party at his house, and there was all kinds of shenanigans going on there that I didn't want to be a part of. He was threatened by the fact that I wouldn't engage with him on that level, and he let me go. The way I conducted myself when I went into HR, got my stuff and left, two guys, one of them was my manager, one of them was my salesman, were blown away by the conduct and the things that went on there, and they became Christians. Wow. It's about what we look like, not what we say. Right. Temple models about what comes out of our mouths, but the example in and of itself isn't there. Yeah. So really thinking that through, it's not about just hanging on until Jesus comes, it's a life of purpose. Or is it? And with that, I, I got a short video I'd like to give you guys the opportunity to watch here. Yes, Francis Chan. What's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried. We get a little scared. And this is what Christians do. You know, we try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here and uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to. Um, you know, I'm not gonna let him outside because son has bad race. I'm gonna, um, you know, just on and on and on, and you just live your life in the safety of I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like two percent, um, and uh, maybe serve help in nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life, and then you, you go your greatest prayer is like God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it. And so you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven, and you don't even feel it, and then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge, and you go... <laughs> <laughs> now, what a dismount. If, uh... <laughs> Could you imagine... Could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes. 
What is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, that, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, Wow, well done. Well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip, you didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. That's right. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be a part of that majority. So what does selfless require of me? And we're true followers of Jesus. There's no place to hide. There's no shortcuts. No excuses. We definitively just can't hold on to the balance beam until we die. You know, let's be honest for a moment. In almost all situations, we almost know intuitively the answer to this question. What does being selfless require of me? You know, it's funny, uh, when the uh, auto management market dried up for me in uh, 2010, uh, there was a guy that had contacted me years ago when I was managing Hummer uh, to manage his uh, auto malls up in uh, Denver, John Medved. And uh, I contacted him, we did a phone conference, a couple days later, I packed up the Matrix and, and headed on up. And Jackie and I, she came up Father's Day about a month later, and you know, we had it scoped out. I mean, cost of living up there is half of what it is here. Yeah. She wouldn't have had to work, but you know Jackie, there's no way that she's going to be staying at home. Um, and it, it, was just, it was just this incredibly nice, demure, you know, I mean, I had this Camaro picked out that I didn't feel like as a disciple I could drive a vet, but I could drive a Camaro, I'd trick it out, supercharger, exhaust, chipping, you know, all that good stuff. It'd blow the drawers off anything we were selling at Chevy. And I mean, and again, I just got caught up into this just real simple lifestyle. We're like, you know, we're kind of flying. No one knows this in Denver. We're flying under the radar. At some point, maybe somebody will ask us to lead a Bible talk, and life is good. Yeah. You know, I, I think I fought my mother-in-law for this, man. He, she was praying that, you know, somehow or other things would work out in California. And even though we were, we, I mean, again, this is how planned out it was. Financially, we went around a problem to fly Jackie down every month to see her mom. So Jackie was good with the whole move thing. Her mom sort of kind of got there. And then two days after I get there, I get a phone call. Hey, bro, uh, you ever thought about going back into the ministry? I'm like, yeah, I've got to, you know, yeah, whatever. I mean, I got a few calls. It wasn't a good fit, you know. Anyway, a couple of weeks later, another phone call, back down to Southern California, started out leading a family ministry, then it became a little bit more, hope entered into the scene, uh, the teen ministry, the church, who would ever have thought in a million years we'd be leading the region again in L.A.? I mean, I'm just glad I didn't know it at the time, because I probably would have said no, but I feel like in light of, I'm serious, this is where I was at, I was liking the idea of being able to go somewhere and just lick my wounds for a little while, you know, enjoy life. But I look at this, it's like, you know what, that ain't what I want. No. That's not how I'm wired. That's, that's, that's squandering the talents and abilities that God has given me. And um, I'm glad we answered the call, because I look at what we've been able to help facilitate on so many different fronts in the ministry that we're a part of, our church, South Bay, the coastal region, 
even with some of the changes that have taken place with, within leadership in LA, I'm grateful to have been a part of that. And we all benefit when we all engage on this yeah, level. That's right. So what does selfless be, or what does being selfless require me? I think for some of us, I mean, maybe it's just a matter of re-engaging. Right. Yeah. You know, just knowing where you're at, the talents that you've used before, and just using them again for God. That's right. Going after it. Love God. Love others. See, the thing with love is love offers us no place to hide, no shortcuts. What does love require of you at home, at work, on the Little League field, in traffic, in the line at the grocery store? And again, we almost always know the answer to that question. The hard part is actually doing what love requires. What does love require of me? And this is the essence of following Jesus. What's necessary to follow Jesus? You know, we've all been through the studies. We know what Jesus being Lord of our life means. And again, if you think it's simple, or think it's easy, think it's watered down, I think just really think again. And what it always takes me back to is the cross, what Jesus did for me personally. When our Father in heaven answered that question, it cost him his son. When our Savior Jesus answered that question, it cost him his life. Mm-hmm. The thing I love about it when he came back, he's like, okay, now you guys can follow me. Mm-hmm. Re-engage. Mm-hmm. You know what? We, we know what happened. They were following him until he was gone. They got all stressed and emotionally distraught and messed up. They went back to what they knew, fishing, rather than what they, Jesus gave them, which was new, wow. this Jesus model versus the temple model. But they re-engaged. Yep. And we've got that opportunity to be Christians today because of that. His disciples had to answer that question. What does love require of me? I mean, can you imagine what would happen in our families? Can you imagine what they'd look like if we ran everything through the filter of what does being selfless, what does love require me? Can you imagine what this election cycle would have looked like if everyone who called themselves a Christian answered that question? What does love require of me? Can you imagine what our cities, our neighborhoods, our country would look like if everything was run through that filter. What does love require of me? You know, this one, we we look at George Barna's report and the number of Christians that there are in this country, but even, even more importantly, right here, as disciples of Jesus Christ, what if all the Christians, just for a month, paused, and we ran everything through the filter of what does being selfless require of me? You know, in the first century church, they didn't have the New Testament. They just had these oral scraps that were handed down. And this fascinates me. No structure, no Bible. Slave owners, slaves, rich and poor children, pulled in off the streets. Yet they all remembered that one thread that held them together. They remember what Jesus had said. If you forget everything else, just love one another. Imagine a world that was critical of us for what we believed, but envious of us because how we treated one another and the people outside this circle of believers. Imagine what that would look like. And ultimately, that's why Christianity has survived all these thousands of years. Matthew 25, verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will gather before him and he will separate them one from another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left, and the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and, and visit you? When did we see you? The essence of following Jesus isn't about you. It's right here in verse 39, verse 38. When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or with or without clothes, clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? When did we see you? So your devotion to God is demonstrated and authenticated by your love for others, period. Did I mention that the best way to honor me has nothing to do with me? Did I mention that whatever you do for one of my children is like doing it for me? Just factor God into that equation, how he feels about his son. And when we're living in accordance with what Jesus established, we respect what he's put out there for us. We mirror and imitate what Jesus modeled for us. So getting back to me, there's no point talking to me, trying to make peace with me, or being nice to me. There's no means of compensating me if you've messed up, if you've messed up my kids at all. The best thing you do for me, again, has nothing to do with me. If you love my kids, you love me. It's so simple. Whatever you do for one of these, it's like you've done it for me. See, the good news we celebrate this morning is that Jesus gives us the power that we need to let go of a life that looks for excuses or a balance beam to hang on to, and to choose a life that is shaped by Jesus Christ's selfless love. See, we need to be willing to take the words that he spoke in the Bible at face value. What does love require of me? Real simple. Love God, love your neighbor. Yeah. No, it's not always going to be easy, and it won't solve all of our problems, but a life linked to being selfless is a thousand times better than a life wasted looking for loopholes or hiding in temples. So I want to encourage you, take one week, just a one-week challenge here. Just a week. Try this for a week. Okay. Start every morning by asking yourself this simple question. What does selfless love require of me today? What would it be like if I treated them the way that I would like them to treat me? You know, if you're visiting with us this morning for the first time, or tenth time, and need some help with maybe the workplace, your marriage, your kids, your friends, God, I know that there's a lot of individuals here that would be more than happy to sit down with you and help you, and there are small groups in their homes. So you can start using this filter that we're talking about today to live life to the full, to have a real purpose. And ultimately, that filter will enable you to change things for the better because the bottom line is, in this group, we all know it, are we not better together than we are on our own? We're better together with God. If you're visiting with us today, I also want to just get you to put it on pause here, phone, because I like to talk to the disciples for a minute. Here's some markers to think about personally when it comes to the temple model and the Jesus model. When's the last time you had someone into your home for a meal for the purpose of helping them know Christ? Think about how we've been blessed. 
When's the last time you shared the good news, the miracles of salvation, or how any of that changed your life to help someone have the opportunity to get saved? Right. And then finally, when's the last time you had someone over to study the Bible or hear the gospel preached? See, because if we're living in accordance with the temple model, even with what I've just talked about, you're just going to see that as a checklist. But if we're living this in accordance with the Jesus model, this is simply a response to God's love and Jesus' sacrifice. So again, for the last time this morning, what does love require of me? Requires looking at yourself less and looking to the person to your right or to your left and demonstrating Jesus for them. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.